our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in His Word, is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, to chapter 6, verse 3. And it feels like it's been a very long time since we were last in Hebrews here at Christ the King. We are resuming this morning our ongoing study of Hebrews. It's been a few weeks away from it. But I suppose that chapter 5, verse 11 isn't a bad place to have to re-engage with the thought of Hebrews because what happens now is that we come to the beginning of what is a sort of digression. Five weeks ago, <laughs> we began what I said was the center of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14. You'll be helped very much if you keep your Bible available and can look at what I'm referring to. The large central section of the book begins in, in 4, verse 14. It begins there. It goes all the way to chapter 10, verse 25. And in that section, if you remember, if you were here, we come to what I call the heartbeat of Hebrews. Christ as high priest and offering. And so, in fact, immediately in chapter 4, verse 14, if you look back there, the pastor writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Because we have a great high priest, the pastor argues, we can hold fast. Why? What does having a high priest mean for our lives? We saw the answer in verse 16 of Hebrews 4, where the pastor exhorts us, let us then, because we have a great high priest, then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's how we do what the pastor has been urging us to do all through our study of Hebrews so far. It's how we pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it, from chapter 2, verse 1. It's what considering Jesus looks like in our lives, in chapter 3, verse 1, which is what we do to receive the help we need when we're being tempted. It's how we take care not to have an evil heart of unbelief, as chapter 3, verse 12 said. It's the means by which we strive to enter the rest of God and not fall by disobedience, as chapter 4, verse 11 urged us. In other words, the key to faithful endurance in the Christian life is appropriating in our lives the core central concern of Hebrews. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And so, four weeks ago, last time we were in Hebrews, we were in chapter 5, and the pastor began then to press into this primary concern. 
We were in chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and there, if you recall, the big idea was that there's a contrast between the insufficiency of the old high priests and the total sufficiency of our great high priest Jesus. And we came to the end of that text in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5, and we read, And being made perfect, that is, Jesus perfectly attaining to his status as high priest, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The pastor says explicitly that Jesus, our high priest, is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What could be more important than this for how we live the life of faith? So I think at this point, what's supposed to be happening is that we say, tell me more, Pastor. How does this work? How does Jesus become the source of salvation? How do I access it? What is it that brings about this obedience in my life? And what's this about him being designated after the order of Melchizedek? Doesn't that have something to do with Abraham? Wasn't the promise of salvation given to Abraham, the man of faith? How does Jesus, as high priest after the order of Melchizedek, bring about the promise made to Abraham? How do I have faith, like Abraham did, that I might inherit the same promise? I mean, this has to be the moment we've been waiting for in Hebrews. Isn't it? Do you long to understand these things? I hope so. I trust that the answer that wells up in your heart to that is yes, yes. This is the teaching I need to live by faith, to endure, to do the will of God, to thereby receive what is promised. Pastor, tell me more. My heart is eager. It longs to grasp these things. I'm listening, Pastor. I hope that's what your heart says this morning. But it's when we come to chapter 5, verse 11, that we learn that the pastor has reason to think, or at least reason to suspect, that that's not what the recipients of his sermon were saying. And so at this critical juncture, when the pastor is about to lead his hearers into the core theological theme of his sermon, he stops. Because something's wrong. Things aren't as they should be in this house church in Rome or wherever it is. Something has happened in the years since this community's reception of the gospel. And exactly how far gone things actually are is hard to determine. But the pastor has reason to be concerned. And so he drops the bombshell in chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, he tells them. About the son's high priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek. About how this is the key to their eternal salvation. Yes, the pastor has much to say. Only in 5 verse 11 
What he says is this. It's hard to explain. Since you have become hard of hearing. Now, I want you to feel how cutting it would have been for the recipients of Hebrews to hear those words read to them around 15 minutes into this sermon that they'd received. I mean, isn't that amazing? How many months have we been in Hebrews? This is about 15 minutes into reading Hebrews, or so, roughly. And this is what they hear. And about the only way I can think to get you to feel something of what that might have been like is to imagine that this is me as your pastor saying this to you. Imagine I come in on a, on a Sunday and I get to about 15 minutes into my sermon and I'm, I've led you to the sermon's central, most important point. And then I stop. And it's quiet, just like it is now. And I say to you, I don't know why I'm bothering to tell you this, because you won't really hear it. And you know why? Because you're immature children, that's why. You don't even want to hear about it. You're like full-grown men and women wearing diapers and sitting around sucking your thumbs until you can have your bottles again. Right? <laughs> I mean, ouch, this is... Only it's worse than that. Because you have to grasp the weight of what's here in Hebrews. This isn't just me saying this about whatever the point I think is that's important in the sermon I happen to be delivering on some Sunday. As one commentator puts it, Christ's high priesthood is nothing less than the ultimate word or message from God addressed to his people and requiring their response. This is the key to salvation, remember. Verse 9 said, Jesus as high priest became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Their very life of faith hangs on this. Our very lives of faith hang on this. And the pastor stops and says, it's hard to explain that. Not because it's too complicated, though at first there may be some challenging conceptual things to work through. That's not the reason. The reason it's hard to explain is because they can't hear it. They've regressed spiritually. They've become dull of hearing, the pastor says. And so suddenly we can tell the pastor isn't going to be talking more about Jesus as high priest just now. Verse 11 is a moment of confrontation. Now, it will be followed by an explanation in verses 12 to 14, and then an exhortation in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. We'll get to that explanation and the exhortation, but first I do want to consider more the confrontation itself in verse 11. What does this mean? Dull of hearing I think this is the key to the whole text. 
it's got nothing to do with their physical ability to hear, as I'm sure you realize. They've become dull of hearing. The word dull means slow, sluggish. And it is no coincidence that the term that's translated there in verse 11 of chapter 5 as dull only occurs one other time in the New Testament, and that's just one chapter ahead in Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 12. If you look there, it forms a bookend on this section of the text. It's there in 5, verse 11. It's there in 6, verse 12, but it's translated differently, sorry, so it's not easy to catch it in the ESV. But look at chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. The pastor now here is summarizing what he's been on about. And he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. I mean, this is the perseverance that the pastor is always after in this book, right? Holding fast to our confession. It's what he desires. So that you may not be sluggish. There's the word. The same word as is translated dull in chapter 5, verse 11, now translated sluggish, chapter 6, verse 12. But go on. But, what's the opposite of being dull or sluggish? But so that you may be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you hear that? We're talking about living the life of faith here. We're talking about Faith and patience. It's what you have to do to inherit the promises. And parenthetically, what, what promises? Well, of course, they're the promises to Abraham. I mean, just look one verse down. We're coming back to this. The whole point is you don't do this if you're dull of hearing. Because it means you're not earnest in the way the pastor's talking about here. If you're dull of hearing, you hear the promises, but you don't really hear them. You don't respond in faith and patience, which tells me now that dull hearing doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your ears. It means there's something wrong with the heart. It means their hearts are not eager to understand and embrace the promises that would, then, that, that would cause them then to, to turn that into faith and patience in their lives. Instead, the Word of God, and in this case, it's the Word about Jesus as our High Priest, right? That's what's in view at this point in Hebrews. The Word of God comes into their ears and it goes down to their heart. And what happens? It hits something hard. Or it hits something that's starting to get hard. And there is no passion for the promises. There's no embrace of them. There's no cherishing them. There's no treasuring them. Which means there's no faith and there's no patience. There's no endurance. And left unchecked, that will mean there's no inheritance of eternal life in the end. Which is why the pastor wrote his sermon, you see? He doesn't want them to continue in this regressed spiritual state. They can't continue in this regressed spiritual state. It doesn't work that way. You don't stay in one place as a Christian. 
The danger the pastor confronts them with here is that if they're not growing, if you're not growing, you're slipping toward apostasy. But that's more moving into next week's passage. This is what the word dull is pointing us towards. More briefly then, what about this concept of hearing, this hearing language in verse 11? Where have we already seen that idea in Hebrews? Well, if you were here, it's back in chapter 4 when we were considering at some length the wilderness generation that had failed to enter the rest of the promised land. Remember this? You look back at chapter 4, verse 2. The pastor said there, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The recipients of Hebrews are somehow like the wilderness generation who heard but didn't really hear because they didn't have faith. And do you remember then what what does that look like? What does that look like in their lives? Well, you back up to chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 and you see it. And to whom, verse 18 of chapter 3, and to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. Note the word. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience, unbelief. The opposite of dullness of hearing is the hearing of faith, right? which in our lives looks like obedience, righteousness. It's faith gone public. That's what trusting the promises of God does in your life. Just as disobedience, unrighteousness, sin, that's no faith gone public. That's what not trusting the promises of God does in your life. And the one is the way to the city of the living God, Hebrews chapter 12. And the other is the way to the consuming fire. So, the pastor suddenly says to them, you've become dull of hearing. That's strong stuff, brothers and sisters. And I think we need to take seriously the little word become that's there in verse 11. I've already said that the recipients of Hebrews have regressed spiritually. I get that from the word become. You have become dull of hearing, the pastor says. That implies they weren't always. Their problem was an acquired condition characterized by an inability to listen to spiritual truth. They'd become spiritually lazy. They'd become unreceptive. They'd become closed off. Do you know people like that? Are you like that? Once they listened intensely, the word of God was alive. It cut their hearts. But over time, there's been a drifting away from what they heard, to use the language way back in chapter 2, verse 1. And how does that happen in our lives? Well, in different ways, but I'm now thinking here again of the wilderness generation. This is not an overnight thing, right? 
Remember back in chapter 3, verse 13, the pastor wrote, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what we're talking about. To be hardened in our hearts is the same as to become dull of hearing. That's the point. And they're getting close to it. If they're not already there. Only consider the implication of that. Your ability to be a mature Christian who grasps the essential word, the teaching you need to persevere in faith, your ability to do that depends not so much on how smart you are. It depends on how you live. The choices you make in life come into play now. Patterns of disobedience matter to the condition of your heart and thus to your ability to grow, to understand. And I'm talking about everyday life stuff. It's what you do with money and with leisure and food and with alcohol and sex and with your iPhone and what books you read and how you treat your spouse and how you speak to your children. You get the point. The life of Christian maturity that can handle solid biblical food doesn't have all that much to do with being intelligent. It has a whole lot to do with being obedient. True understanding of the deep mysteries of God's word come not just through the mind, but also through holy living. I'm not saying the mind's not involved. But listen, at, at one point, at one point, listen to this, one point where in his essay called On the Holy Trinity, St. Augustine says, and if this aspect of the doctrine of the Trinity, if this is understood with difficulty, the mind must be purged by faith. And then watch how Augustine describes faith here. I love it. By more and more abstaining from sins and by doing good works and by praying with the groaning of holy desires that by profiting through the divine help, it may both understand and love. Which is a beautiful way to put this. Growth in obedience and growth in understanding depend on each other for progress. And at first, you see, the Hebrew believers had listened attentively. They'd learned the main things. They ought to be ready for the heart of what the pastor would have them receive now in his sermon. And they're not. Really, they should have grasped it long ago. But something happened. We don't know exactly what it was, but in some way, what they'd heard wasn't internalized, wasn't maintained in their lives in the way it needed to be. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in Luke 8, verse 18. After Jesus has finished telling the parable of the four soils, where the seed is the word of God, remember? And then Jesus says, this is Luke 8, verse 18. He says about the lamp not being hidden and so on. He says then, Take care then how you hear. Isn't that remarkable? Take care how you hear. 
For to one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That's what the pastor's warning them could happen, you see. Now, a careful reading here in Hebrews suggests that all is certainly not lost yet. Next week, you'll feel like it is. I have to warn you when we look at verses 5 to 8. But (laughs) the pastor has a method, and after that, look down at verse 9 of chapter 6. The pastor knows what he's doing. He's trying to jolt them. The response he wants from our text this morning, the response I hope you have, is that his hearers wake up. They say, no, we're not like the spiritual babies you describe. We are, we want to be like those you describe as spiritually mature. That's the response the pastor is hoping for, longing for, praying for. Because look at chapter 6, verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way, that is from what we're starting today and we'll include next week, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. They're not lost yet. Not yet. Maybe you caught earlier how in 5 verse 11 it says you have become dull of hearing, but maybe the pastor's staying a little more strongly than he has to, because then when he uses the same word again in chapter 6 verse 12, it's a bit different. He says there his desire is that they may not be sluggish. Because things can change by God's grace, as we'll see in a moment. But now having spent all that time on verse 11 and doing what I always do and rushing now at the end, I think the rest of the passage will fall more easily into place. The rest of it is in two parts, as I said before. 12 to 14 are the explanation or the support for what the pastor says in verse 11. And then 6 verses 1 to 3 are the exhortation that flows out of it. So you have confrontation, explanation, exhortation. So now here comes the explanation. But we we already said what verse 11 was saying. But now here's a further explanation starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he writes. In other words, that would be the normal thing. That would be the natural thing. They had, if they had paid the kind of attention they should have to what they'd heard from the start, not meaning that they'd all be pastors or teachers in a formal sense, but that they should by now be able to instruct those who are new in the faith. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, instead you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The emphasis there is on the word Again, they had once been taught, but now need reteaching. We're talking here about the most elementary tenets that need instruction, the ABCs of the beginning of the words of God, you could say, the initial instruction. And what are those things? Well, they are what the pastor will call milk in a moment. And then I go with the reading that links that to what you find listed in in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, when the pastor exhorts them not to lay again a foundation. And then he puts some things in that foundational category there that we'll just briefly consider in a moment. But let me say now that 
when the pastor says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, and he does mean that critically, he is not saying that Christians shouldn't ever remind themselves, don't ever need to be reminded of the basics of our faith. In fact, it's a good thing we do that. We're supposed to pay close attention to what we heard, everything we've heard. This isn't that. This is a reteaching because the foundation's not there the way it needs to be. Their lives reveal that. They need someone to teach them again what at one time they knew, and the sense is they've lost it somehow. There's been a spiritual regression. This is not very clear in the English that you have in the end of verse 12, but it is clearer in the Greek. The English reads, you need milk, not solid food. But the Greek there translates something like, you have become those who need milk rather than solid food. It's the same idea as was in verse 11, where they'd become dull of hearing. This was new for me this week in this text. I always thought the idea was you start with milk and you grow to eat solid food, and that the point is the recipients of Hebrews just hadn't gotten there yet. That's not the sense of it. They were once more mature. But now they need the milk of infants rather than the food of adults. That's the point, and that's not a positive thing. In other places, you probably know in the scriptures, milk is used positively of what we're to drink in order to grow. Here it's not that. Here it's their disgraceful regression. The pastor is using shame. He's saying it's as if they're back at the beginning. They've not been growing, at least not recently. They've been spiritually aging backwards, in fact, and their lives are reflecting that. Their lives are dull of hearing. Not walking in faith and patience, right? Look at verse 13. You need milk, he writes. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child. That's what they look like. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. Which in this context does not mean that they can't reason themselves properly to what is right. It means they aren't living righteously. They're not living by faith. The word of righteousness means the word that brings about righteousness. The fruit of good works. Faithfulness in their lives. They don't have it. At least they're not skilled in it as they should be. Ultimately, this is the word, of course. The word in this whole context is the word of the revelation of Christ's high priesthood. That's what's needed because that's the means by which the pastor's hearers will be able to follow the righteous who live by faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, as we'll come to much later. That's how they themselves will persevere in faithfulness to the end. But instead, no, they need milk. The point is, milk drinkers in this context are unskilled in discerning and following the right course of action because they're only infants, you see. I love how one commentator explains the problem. He says, quote, these milk drinkers are in a perilous situation because they have neither an understanding nor an inclination towards deeper matters of the faith by which one understands the importance and means of perseverance. 
But, the pastor concludes his explanation in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. And that solid food, of course, here is the teaching about the high priesthood of Jesus. Again, why? I'm sorry for repeating myself so many times, but I feel like the pastor, like I want you to get this. Why? Because understanding this, the teaching about the high priesthood of Jesus, truly understanding that, really hearing that word concerning Jesus as our great high priest, that the pastor has a lot he wants to say about. That's what brings about maturity. And note what maturity in the Christian life looks like. Maturity looks like, quote, having our powers of discernment, and we're talking here about spiritual senses, having them trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Those who are mature have their faculties trained to discern good and evil, meaning they live it out. Can I just say something to you younger people in the room? If you are looking for someone to mentor you in your life of faith, do not just go looking for the person who seems the smartest or the wittiest or has the deepest intellectual grasp of theological concepts. Not that there's anything wrong with laboring to understand difficult theology and working hard in your mind and intellect. But there are plenty of PhDs in the church and in the academy who are brilliant and dull of hearing. Right? Look for those who you know have had their faculties trained in the way the pastor describes because you just see again and again in their lives they choose what is good. The word of righteousness has been embedded in their lives. They have the wisdom Proverbs talks about. They're able to determine what's righteous because wisdom has come into their hearts. Such is the explanation of verses 12 to 14. And what I want to stress is just how precarious the situation is here. The recipients of Hebrews, because of their infancy, are slipping toward apostasy. Those who are spiritual infants can't remain where they are. They'll either go forward or they'll fall away and be destroyed forever. All believers must pursue maturity to avoid apostasy. I'll say that again because it's important. All believers must pursue maturity to avoid apostasy. It's not something for the elite few Christians who make it. It's the sine qua non of Christian life. So finally, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, we come to the exhortation. Therefore, the pastor says, now, he seems to think he's convinced them, right? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. Now, I'd prefer to translate that the basic Christian teachings. The point isn't that we are abandoning the fundamental teachings about Christ. As I'll say in a moment, let us leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, the pastor says, which is stunning. I think this is stunning. Think about this. What's the pastor's approach here? His readers need milk, he says. So does he acquiesce to their infantile appetites and teach them the elementary principles of the faith again? No. You glance ahead to chapter 7, and you see it. 
he's going to Melchizedek. The preacher's moving them over to the adult table. Why? Because he knows. And because he desires more than anything that his readers must understand the significance of Jesus' high priesthood and apply it to their lives. That's the only way they'll hold fast to their confession. That's the only way they'll persevere. That's the only way they'll make it to the end by faith. Because once again, what does Jesus, our high priest, make possible? How does he bring about this promise for us? How does he get us to the great salvation, to life with God in a place forever, as we've been talking about? Well, it was back in chapter 4, six, verse 16, wasn't it? And we'll just be swimming in it later in Hebrews. It's because with Jesus as our great high priest, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the pastor knows that that mercy and grace are exactly what his hearers need to make it to the end. Listen to how one author expresses what the pastor's doing now in chapter 6, verse 1. Quote, The exhortation of chapter 6, verse 1 flows naturally from verses 11 to 14. Regression into immaturity and fixation with elementary teaching result in loss. Maturity and the advanced teaching about Christ by which it is fostered are eminently desirable for perseverance. Therefore, let us go on to maturity. And here comes my favorite part. There is no contradiction between the pastor's statement that his hearers have come to need milk again and his insistence on feeding them solid food. One weans infants by feeding them adult fare. Thus the pastor would wean his hearers, ancient and modern, by feeding them the solid food of the great salvation provided by Christ our high priest and challenging them to maturity by its regular appropriation. Bingo. <laughs> pastor knows, laying again a foundation, as he says in chapter 6, verse 1, laying again a foundation, that won't move his hearers to maturity. That's been done already more than once, in fact. You see, they're either going to go on or they're not going to go on. Only please don't misunderstand me. The pastor does not say that you should leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ. Neither is he suggesting you can somehow do away with the foundational teachings that he lists in the end of verse 1 and verse 2. Of course not. He talks about laying a foundation because these things are foundational. I mean, look at them. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Yeah, those need to be there instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. Yeah, pretty important. This may be a reference to teachings that distinguish Christian baptism from various Jewish washings. The laying on of hands may have to do with the reception of the Holy Spirit. I mean, some of those details are, are uncertain, but the idea is we're still, it's foundational stuff. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment 
I mean, it doesn't get much more foundational than that list, does it? They're all absolutely essential. But look, you can learn all that and really believe it. And you have to. But such foundational teachings find their full significance in view of all that Christ is and Christ has done for us. The high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ is the only way that those who have repented of dead works and turned to God in faith can persevere so that they receive salvation and enter God's kingdom at the resurrection when Christ returns in judgment. You see, nothing could be more important to all those who accept those foundational truths than the means of such perseverance. And so here we are, and the pastor's determined. Things cannot stay as they are. His desire and expectation is that the recipients of his sermon will go on to maturity. And he's being aggressive here. And he'll be aggressive again next week. But of course, he can't be certain. He knows he can't bring this about on his own. In the final analysis, as the pastor will say in chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 21, it's God who equips us with everything good to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We remain always dependent upon God's grace and power which is why it's most fitting that in the end the pastor knows on whom he depends for the maturity of his hearers. And this, he writes in verse 3, we will do if God permits. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.